Well, you did it. We did it. We made it all the way to part five in our series, Faith Catalyst. We've been looking at five things that God uses to grow our faith big. Every once in a while, uh, I get struck by things, and this one keeps striking me. I kind of forget about it for a while, and then it strikes me again as amazing. And as you go through the Bible, all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament and all the way through to the very end of the New Testament, you see people, people and God, God and people working together. God repeatedly working in partnership with people. We work in partnership with God through trust. And then it strikes me at a different level because I'm a people too. And I realize, again, in these special moments that he has chosen to work in partnership with me. And that struck me again last week when I was away at district conference. I had a moment, I had a couple of moments, honestly, that were strangely humbling and encouraging at the exact same time. My God uses me. My God works through me. And if he can work through me, then gosh, ding, dang, darn it all, he can work through you also. And we are encouraged to connect to God through Jesus, not just through ritual or repetition or attendance, but through one of the big words of the New Testament. It's the word that we have been focusing on here for years, but specifically for the last couple of weeks. That word is faith. It means trust. It means confidence. God, I'm placing my trust, I'm placing my confidence in Christ as my Savior. I believe that Jesus paved the way for me to reconnect with God. And so we connect to God through Christ through an act of faith. Now I bet many of you, uh, you're not really super big Bible trivia fans. And I have no desire to out you on that kind of thing. So I'm going to tell you things today like you already know them, okay? And then later on you can wink at me and say, I had no idea, all right? But thanks for not making me look goofy in front of other people, all right? So wink, wink, here's the first thing. We all know that there was a quiet period in the biblical intertestamental history, right? I mean, there's the, uh, the end, from the end of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant until the beginning of the New Testament or the New Covenant, the period in between those two was 400 years. 400 years from the end of Malachi until the beginning of the events in the New Testament from Malachi to Matthew. But the Old Testament is what sets up the amazing event in the New Testament. So sometimes this is called the 400 years of silence. 400 years of separation. So that no one could just think that they had strung together the events from here with here. No one from the first part was around when the second part started. Big gap. But the theme of the Old Testament is that humanity broke their relationship with God. And here, here's a key part that, that I know you also already know. The thing that the Old Testament that, that broke the relationship between God and humanity, the very thing 
that the, is the very thing that the, the New Testament addresses. It's the issue of trust. Humanity was separated from God because in the beginning, the first two people who ever lived said something, acted in a way as if they were saying something that basically all of us have said in our own way. They said, we say, God, I don't trust you. We don't think that you have our best interests in mind. We know the difference between right and wrong, and we think that you are keeping something good from us. And at some point, we've all done something that, uh, that violates our own conscience, or maybe even violates the will of God. We did it because we thought that we were going to miss out on something. We didn't trust God to provide the best for us. We went in search of our own best. We trusted our own desires more than the promises of God. We thought we could see the situation and understand it better than God. And that's how the whole mess started. And it started because they decided that God couldn't be trusted. So it would make sense that when Jesus came um, back, he would focus on repairing this thing in the same way that it was broken. And what was broken was trust. So you, you come back into God's good graces. You become a child of God, not through doing a bunch of really good things. The relationship was not broken primarily by uh, doing a bunch of bad things. It was broken through a decision. We don't trust God. So it makes sense. We shouldn't be surprised that in the New Testament, we discover that the relationship is healed through faith and through trust. My faith and your faith are incredibly important to God. It is the essence of our relationship. And when we talk about the road trip um, and being in earnest pursuit of Jesus, that is all language that is designed to emphasize the growing trust relationship between us and God. The growth that we talk about is the growth of our faith. As our faith grows, your intimacy with God grows. It is the development of our faith, that, that confidence in God that gives us the Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, peace-inspired relationship that God longs for us to have. So consequently, throughout our life, God is working constantly to grow our faith. He is using these five things, maybe not, exclusive these, not exclusively these five things, but he is using these five things in your life right now. The first one we talked about was practical teaching, and then we talked about providential relationships, that God brings people into our lives, and what, while they intersect, exponentially good things happen. And next we looked at private disciplines. Um, as one of the things that God uses, as we participate, we choose, that God uses to grow our faith, to open new doors for us. Praying on your own, doing that, making it a discipline, learning to trust God with your finances and giving on your own. We've listed out a whole bunch more at intoone.ca under private disciplines. Everyone needs to have a growing edge. So what's your edge? Where, where, where's the area that you're growing in today? Have you put it off until later? Today we're going to look at personal ministry. 
We'll come back to that in a minute. And then finally, next week, we're going to finish this series off by looking at pivotal circumstances. And this is about things that happen in our lives that we can't forget. They are in there. They are indelible. We remember, and then they can push us in faith one way or the other. So remember, this is not an official list. It's not in the Bible anywhere. Um, there may be more. Who knows? But these are things that we can see and we can hear in, in people's stories as they look back describing their road trip in faith. There have been many times in my life, and probably the same thing is true for you, someone has come up to you and offered you an opportunity to do something. Maybe somebody talked about a need and you went, wow, I should respond to that need. I, I, I connect with that in some sort of way. You offered yourself in some sort of capacity. Um, when that happened, you probably felt some sort of internal nudge to get involved in something that would serve or that would benefit other people. And maybe your story has words or phrases in it that went something like this. You know what? At the beginning, I didn't feel equipped. I was not prepared for what I was getting into. You know what? I'm nowhere near smart enough. I don't want to make a fool of myself. I really feel drawn to that group of people. Well, I always wanted to do something, but I, I didn't know what to do. I had been waiting so long. I was always trying to get to that perfect spot, and then I finally just decided, go for it. I can start there. Yes, I can do that. They need help. I can help. I don't want to be defined just by my job. I want to have some other opportunities. I realized that it wasn't guilt. It was opportunity. It was an opportunity for me to take another step. Maybe God is the source of that nudge, that, that feeling that I get inside. And I want to be obedient to God. So let's take that next step. Today I want to highlight that little bit of fear that we all have. The fear that holds us back. Maybe right now, you are in the middle of a tug of war with God. Maybe it's about something just like this. And God just keeps bringing it back to your heart. He keeps bringing it back to your mind over and over and over. The issue of the wrestling match is not so much just the benefit that some, that some people will get if you get involved, the people that you would be involved with. The issue is not just that these people need help and somebody should help them. Maybe God wants to use somebody or something outside of your comfort zone to stretch and to build your faith. He's inviting you outside of what's comfortable. Maybe he's inviting you outside of your skill set. Maybe he's inviting you into what your skill set really is that has just remained undiscovered. Maybe he's inviting you outside of your environment of experience. Maybe you're in this tension right now. Maybe you remember the last time this tension occurred. Maybe your time is still coming. But this is something that God will use over and over and over again in your life to help you reach another level of faith. This is a faith issue. Like last week wasn't finance, it was faith. This is a faith issue again. God wants to exhaust your faith muscle so that he can build it up stronger. And one of the best examples of this also just happens to be some of the best known stories 
in the Bible. And we love watching this happen to other people, right? But it can be great in our lives as well. So embrace it and power up. We're going to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 13. In the middle of this story, that you're, you're probably going to recognize it at least a little bit, there is a conversation and Jesus is talking with his disciples and it's just gold what he's got there, okay? It might describe better than anything else this issue that all of us wrestle with at some point on our road trip of faith. Verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And what he had just heard was that his cousin John had just been put to death by Herod. Okay, so hearing of this, the, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So 14, when Jesus landed, he saw a large group and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, all right? And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food for themselves. These people walk around, you know, for the better part of a day, searching, looking for Jesus. And then they find Jesus. But, but everyone's tired. And I think this probably had a lot to do with what the disciples were feeling too. I think the disciples were probably hungry themselves. So instead of saying, hey, Jesus, we're hungry, they say to Jesus, I think the crowds of people are getting hungry. But this is where faith and service, the tutorial, kicks in. So verse 16, Jesus replies and he says, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that right there is the tension. If you are not facing it now, you will face this. It's the tension that you sense when somebody has a need that needs to be met. You sense that there is a ministry, that, uh, that there's a need, and there's something in you that, that kind of goes out to that. You, you connect with that, and you sense a need, and then there is the nudge of God that says, you meet it. And you think, no, 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 that's not how it works. I don't meet those needs. I pray for those needs, right? I pray for, and then I wait for God or for somebody else to fill those needs. God, please send someone else to deal with that, to meet all those needs that I can see. And God will nudge you sometimes and say, no, I want you to do it. You are the plan. And when you think of those situations, you think about what you don't know. You think about what you don't have. You think about what you can't do. And God might very well be nudging you it's not guilt, but he is letting you know that he wants you. Now, don't worry, because the disciples know exactly how you feel. They do exactly what we do in these situations. They start making excuses, right? Verse 17, well, we have only got five loaves of bread and two fish. Obviously, we can't do it. I mean, we checked. We did a quick inventory. We're not prepared not equipped for this. In verse 18, Jesus says, bring them here to me. Jesus, this is all we have. Okay, bring me what you have. But I barely know anything. Okay, bring me what you have. I'm so busy. I have no time at all. Bring me what you have. 
I've never done anything like that before. Bring me what you have. I don't have enough experience. Bring me what you have. They did what they knew how to do, trusting that Jesus was going to do something that only Jesus could do. Verse 19, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And when I read this story, I think to myself, there's a real time gap in there. Like the cameras just went off or something. Like what else happened? What happened in that middle part? There was five loaves and two fish. And this is the part of the experience that can be yours. You're sitting with people around you who have had something similar to this happen to them. Jesus just handed the disciples back exactly what they had handed him. And once Jesus handed them the bread and the fish, they did what they knew how to do because that's all they could do. They did not know how to feed 5,000 men plus women and children with that little tiny bit of food. But they did know how to serve with what they had. They simply did what they knew how to do. And that tension that you feel, the fear that you feel, that is your faith in God, your confidence in God, that muscle being stretched. God is working on your faith. He cares about your faith. What's at stake is not simply the, the needs that might go unmet. That's not really the issue. The issue is that God wants to do something in you and in your faith. And what's at stake is the size and capacity of your faith, which impacts your intimacy with your Heavenly Father. That's what's always at stake. This is the way God works. He has always worked like this. God, I'll do what I can do, and I'll trust you to do what you can do. And at the end, there are these people that, that, that we've heard about. And we, we celebrate, oh my goodness, what an incredible story. And they quite legitimately and honestly give God all the credit. They know what it's like to be in the middle. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. The disciples did not walk away from this event saying, hey, you know what we should totally do? We should start a bread and fish business. We'd be killing it. They did what anyone who experiences this dynamic goes through. They say, we didn't do that. I was there. I mean, I did my part. But you cannot give me credit for the that. God showed up and did what only God can do. And Jesus had a very specific agenda when he did this miracle. He knew that he was going to hand the whole movement over off to this, this group of people in a relatively short amount of time. He knew if their faith wasn't strong enough, if their confidence in God wasn't strong, the whole thing might not work out. So all this was not just a meal. This was simply to help the disciples learn to trust him. So as soon as class 101 lets out, he sends them straight on into 201. 
22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. This is Jesus applying his private disciplines. It's not just something for us, right? This is something that Jesus modeled in his own life. He practiced these things. And then later that night, he was there alone. Verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Class 201 is now fully in session. These guys are used to being on the water. They know what they're doing on the water. They get about halfway out in the dark and they're having trouble making progress. And this is something that they are good at. They trained for this. They are experienced in this. 25, shortly before dawn, that means that they had been out for most of the night. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear, which is like, ah! One of the things in my mind that enhances the Bible's credibility is that the guys who wrote it make themselves look bad. They're not coming off as macho. Matthew is on the boat. Matthew is an eyewitness of all this. Matthew is the guy who's writing this down. Matthew is saying, I thought he was a ghost. I got scared. I cried out in fear. They do not write what happened in an uh, edited to make themselves look good kind of way. If you're making this stuff up, if you're just injecting yourself into a story, you don't write yourself into a story as the coward. You might call them saints today, but that's after they are long dead. They were not saintly in the moment. They were very, very human in the moment. Just like I am very human in the moment. Just like you are very human in the moment. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then, Peter gets an insight. Not that long ago, I was standing in a group of more than 5,000 people, and I gave them what I thought was five loaves and two fish. And somehow, what was in my hands became enough to feed everyone and then have 12 basketfuls of pieces left over. And then Jesus told us to go out into the boat. He knew he was going to meet us later. He knew it. Ah, Jesus this is the whole time you knew what was going to happen. The whole time you were planning this lesson. There's something that we're supposed to connect with here. What I just saw, what I was just part of, where I am right now, I think I get it. I think we can do anything that Jesus asks us to do if we'll do what we know to do and then somehow trust him and then he decides to test his theory. So he says, verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And here is the difference, okay, between faith and stupidity. This is not just Peter's bright idea. 
He doesn't just jump over and yell, hey, Jesus, I'm risking it all for you, man. I'm coming towards you. So many terrible ideas collapse because someone decided that they would do something and then they would just trust Jesus for the outcome. I did it for you, God. Now, if you wouldn't mind just picking up the pieces behind me, The lesson is, whenever the Savior asks me to do anything that I am incapable of doing, whenever he invites me out of my comfort zone, whenever he invites me to do something bigger than my ability, it's simply do what I know to do. He does what only he can do. So Jesus, invite me. Please, invite me. He's got to ask me first. Because whenever he invites me, he empowers me. Jesus, invite me out of this boat. 29, come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. And Jesus did the exact same thing here as he did with the five loaves and the two fish. Peter said, I don't know how to make five loaves and two fish feed more than 5,000 people. But Jesus took what I could do and he did what only he could do. So I I don't know how to walk on water, but if Jesus invites me, then he will do what only he can do. I know how to get out of a boat and I know how to walk. That's what my limitations are. But now Jesus has invited me. So I will trust Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. Can do. Do you know what that is right there? That is the ongoing, never-ending Christian experience. That's it. So I dare you, start praying the Peter prayer. Lord, invite me out of my comfort zone. Please invite me out of my comfort zone. God, I want you to use me in the lives of other people, but I don't want to just come up with an idea and then and make you pay for it. I want the assurance that you are inviting me out of my comfort zone. Jesus, I am going to do what I know how to do, but I am watching for you, watching for you to do what only you can do. For some of you, you know what it's like. He's already inviting you. What is he inviting you to? Where are you going? You do what you can do, and then you watch for him to do what only he can do. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind... He was reminded of what he couldn't do. He was afraid and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. This is all about faith. This is all about your confidence and trust in your Savior. This is not about miracles. This this is about teaching. The lesson that is being taught here is all about faith. I'm trying to teach you guys how to trust me for for what you can't do. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt me? You began looking at your ability. And when you begin looking at your ability, you begin to forget to trust me. I don't think that what Jesus is doing here is finger wagging. It's not in the text, but here's what I think is what happened. And maybe it's like the parent that's coming out of me. Peter begins to sink and immediately Jesus reaches out and he grabs him and he says, oh, you almost had it. You were so close. 
Why did you doubt me, Peter? You got it. You understood it. You made the right call. You asked the right question. 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Part of the class is over. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. We suspected it before. I mean, that whole bread and fish thing? (laughs) That was pretty amazing. But I was just in the midst of it. We're in Jesus. We get it. We figured out who you are and we trust you. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to live. That's where I want to continue to be. And if you're here at Into One today or you're watching today, then you're benefiting from the men and the women who jumped out of the boat in 2010 and in 2011 to make this happen. There was just a handful of us. We believed that we heard God prompting, nudging us forward into the partially known, but mostly unknown. We didn't know how to do this. We still don't know how to do this. None of us had done this before. There were no outside backers. But we said we were going to do what we know how to do. And since it seems that God is calling us forward and through that door, then let's trust Him to do what only He can do. And it seems like God is opening that door in front of us. And that door, it sure looks scary. People told us, you're out of your minds. We were told that we were fools. But that's how Into One started. What is God nudging you to do? We all only have a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish to feed 5,000 people. We're all in that same position. This is not about guilt. This is about opportunity. This is not about a function. This is about faith. God wants to do something in you, through you. But right now, we are looking at what God wants to do in you. God wants to grow your faith. He wants to build you up. He wants wants your intimacy with Him to increase and improve, to deepen and to diversify. This is one of the five faith catalysts that that we have a role to play. We need to open our hands and release what you have. You know already that it's not enough, but you need to throw your legs over the side of the boat, even though you don't know the first thing about walking on water. You can walk. You can do that. And this is everyone's story whom God has used. This blends the known and the unknown. And so now, would you be willing to do what you know how to do and trust God to do what only God can do? Would you be willing to do what you know how to do? Understanding that you don't know everything. Would you be willing to serve? To assist? to lead, and trust God to meet you and transform it into something that only He can do. Not because you're fully ready, but because God is inviting you. If you do, you are going to experience God in a brand new way. If you don't, you will never, ever know what God might have done through you. 
If you do, you can take the next step through which God will grow your faith. That larger faith increases your potential for intimacy with God. That intimacy with God translates into a greater sense of his partnership with you, and it feels like more love, more grace, more peace, and more joy in your life. It's waiting. Kind Father, this is how you work. We've seen it throughout history. These nudges are the way that we begin to experience the voice of your Spirit. And God, we want to hear more clearly from you. We want to be people of discernment and growing faith. Please keep nudging. Please keep prompting. And then give us the boldness to focus on you first and to do what we can do. And then trust you to do what only you can do. Change our lives. Transform our church. Grow your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.